1: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Matt and I are going to be talking about mountain bikes that are going wireless. So, no, we're not talking about e bikes, we're talking about other stuff on mountain bikes that's going electronic. You may remember we did a podcast about electronics a while ago where we talked about all kinds of stuff like GPS and bike lights and things like that. But today we're going to focus on some news, particularly around electronic drivetrains and dropper posts, and really talk about like how all these systems might potentially integrate with each other and some of the pros and cons of doing that. So let's dive right in. So the big announcement was the SRAM AXS system, uh, which basically... Adds batteries and wireless controllers to the drivetrain, and also to their dropper posts. And we're going to begin with the drivetrain. So, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about like what an electronic wireless drivetrain is? Like, what does it actually do?
0: Yeah, it's kind of a a big old wonder piece of technology now. <laughs> so, I mean, everything that that drivetrain needs to function is still there, essentially, just minus the cables. So you got your derailleur, chain, chain ring, shifter. All the now calling it a controller rather than a shifter. So now you can, I guess, think about having a remote controller on your handlebar instead of a shifter, or you can just keep calling it a shifter. <laughs> but essentially it just takes away all the shifting cables for an instantaneous response from actual input to shift.
1: Yeah. And again, this is not, it's not an electric mountain bike in any way. I mean, I guess it is, it is doing some mechanical work for you. Like you don't have to use your thumb muscles as much anymore, but yeah, that's a good, good way to put it. So SRAM came out with this AXS system. This is actually not the first Wireless drivetrain system for mountain bikes. Shimano came out with their Di2 system a few years ago, Mm -hmm. and both of these technologies really started on the road. I mean, SRAM had their ETap system for a while, and Shimano also had their system. I believe it was also it was called Di2 for road bikes. Yeah. So yeah, that was the big news. So we'll talk specifics about AXS since that's kind of the fresh one that's. In everybody's mind right now, what are the advantages of going with a wireless drivetrain system?
0: Well, you take away any sort of lag that kind of happens um, as far as like, you know, a traditional shifter. You're going to press a button, that's like a, or not a button, but the trigger, but, and that's a lever. So it's going to take a lever force to actually, with the cable, to actually trigger the derailleur to shift Whereas like the new system. It's just, it's like Bluetooth signals. It's completely <laughs> electronic. So you hit a button and it shifts instantly, just like you would uh, press call for a phone call or yeah. something like that.
1: Yeah, that's interesting too. And one of the things that Shram made mention of in their release is their app. So they have like an app, which I think kind of confuses things for people a little bit because you don't actually need the app to shift, right? Like you're not, you're not pulling out your smartphone and being like, shift up, shift down.
0: Right. Yeah, that would be a nightmare. Yeah.
1: And so what you're actually doing, though, with the app, as I understand it, is you can configure your drivetrain, you can set it up. And that configuration, basically, you can custom configure how the shifter or the, the controller works. So you can set the button to do different things, I guess. Like you could set one button to be the up and the other one to be the down. With the controllers, you can also set them up different ways. So they're like more like a trigger shifter, like a traditional shifter or like a grip shift uh, with the new AXS one. So you can like use kind of your thumb or like the inside of your hand to shift as well. But yeah, the app is only for setup. You don't need it for actually like shifting your bike, which is good.
0: Yeah. I guess just uh, a way to set up and maybe customize it uh, rather than being dependent on it to work all the time.
1: Yeah. One of the other things that this promises is easy installation. And I'm definitely a big fan of that, like not having to set cable tensions and make a lot of adjustments that way. Basically, you know, you bolt it on and I think there are a few adjustments, like you adjust a couple of bolts on it, but then the app and everything just kind of like, I think it just configures itself, right? Is that your understanding?
0: As far as I know, yeah, I mean, I think you might have to cycle through it. There are still, like, limited gestures on the derailleur and everything just to make sure that everything's in line. But, yeah, certainly a lot easier to set up than, than cables, which I think is really cool, and especially for racers who might be swapping parts a lot at, at the pits and need something. I, I think mechanics would probably dig the, uh, the time expedition of it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, one of the things that SRAM mentioned in their launch is that the derailleur is like more durable or it's able to like recover from getting banged around like on the mountain bike trail. So like if something crashes into the derailleur, um, it basically like resets itself and gets back into position pretty easily.
0: Yeah. There's like a little electronic clutch now that, um, and it may still have some spring mechanisms in there, but yeah, if it gets pounded in, then it's going to remember exactly where it left off and sort of push back out to the same spot.
1: Yeah, I think we'll still need derailleur hangers and we'll still be dealing with like bent parts and stuff like that, but hopefully hopefully maybe a little bit less if the thing actually does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. So, another thing that hasn't gotten a lot of mention is the weight difference and it's right. from what I can tell the new XX1, which is the highest level AXS derailleur weighs about five grams less than the XX1 mechanical derailleur. So essentially there's the same weight. Um, and that's, that's with the battery and everything. I don't know if that accounts for the shift cables, because obviously that's some weight that you're getting rid of when you go to this system.
0: Yeah. I think it actually, like as a group said, it does save a little bit of weight from not having the cables and, uh, housing and all that. I think it is a little bit lighter, even with the batteries.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about the battery. So some of the disadvantages of a system like this obviously depends on a battery, right?
0: Yeah. Now you have to take out your derailleur and likewise your dropper post battery to charge them. I think the battery life is like 25 or 30 hours, something like that. So you do get pretty good time out out of one charge.
1: Yeah. That's, I mean, that seems decent, but then again, it is something else that you have to worry about and try to remember. I can't even remember to charge my bike lights before a night ride. So I could see that being kind of annoying, but maybe, I don't know, maybe what you do is you just buy extra batteries and like always have one charged and in your pack or something. I don't know. I'm sure there's a way around it.
0: Yeah. Another thing to charge, I mean, top of your phone, your headphones and laptop and everything else that we have now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it seems like, yeah, with all this stuff, it seems like maybe we'll start to see the dynamo hub coming back and making a little bit of power to keep all your stuff charged, your smartphone and all your drivetrain stuff and everything. That could be kind of cool.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So serviceability too, it seems like if something goes wrong with your mechanical derailleur, most of the time you can figure it out, rig something up. Most of us have Learn some tips and tricks along the way
0: on YouTube,
1: yeah, but but with the electronic, it's feels to me like it's a bit of a black box, but maybe that's not a concern,
0: yeah, I don't know, and it's like I guess kind of in line with uh, um a lot of people's concerns over something like a live valve also is they don't really know like the longevity of this type of equipment isn't mm-hmm. isn't really out there yet, uh at least information on it, and so yeah, when something pops up like. Of course, you can go to the bike shop, but uh, <laughs> are you going to be out a drivetrain for a month, two months? Right. I guess it's one of those things like people sort of knocking other people for buying a Mercedes. Well, now you're going to pay three hundred bucks for an oil change, and <laughs> I guess if you have the money for a Mercedes or you have the money for premium access, like money is probably not uh, money for maintenance is probably not your first concern.
1: Yeah, I mean it's already tough. I don't know if if you've had to like try to fix a bike part, especially a drivetrain part, but like I had a. Drivetrain, a GX Eagle derailleur that I bent the cage on it. Um, and you would think that's just like a, it's just like a piece of metal that you could order like parts for the derailleur, but it's not that easy. I mean, maybe there's, there's places to do it, but I looked online and nobody sells like just the cage. And so, yeah, it's like the stuff's not even really serviceable as it is. And this just seems to make it a little bit worse.
0: Yeah. I, that'll definitely be something interesting to watch out for. So yeah. Same with live valve and same with a lot of these electronic components that are, that are coming out is, is there a, a, a point in time where you're going to start to see a lot more problems with it? And you know, if so, like what's the time timeline that you're going to be out of piece of equipment because you have to send it back to SRAM to, to go through a rebuilding process or do some new circuit boards in it or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And our bike mechanics going to have to add like a soldering kit to their toolbox <laughs> they can like <laughs> you know reconnect wires and do all that kind of stuff who knows yeah so another disadvantage at least for now is that this whole system is definitely more expensive you know not just the SRAM axs but also the shimano di2 system for axs we're talking two grand for the group and there's not much of a discount for the the lower level group. It's $1,900. So you save a hundred bucks if you get the slightly less expensive version. That's how they
0: get you. Yeah.
1: And I don't know, have you compared that to DI2? I feel like it's it's about the same price as that system. Maybe a little bit less than DI2 was when it came out.
0: From what I heard, it's actually quite a bit cheaper than uh, than DI2. Like, yeah, several hundred dollars.
1: Well, and compared to a mechanical XX1 drivetrain too, um, I don't think it's that far off. I mean, that's always been super expensive and most people didn't go with the XX1. I mean, most of us are running a much lower level group than that anyway. Right. So for those who are like interested in XX1, I think this probably is pretty attractive. It's, it's not that much more expensive, I guess is what I'm saying, than those highest in drivetrains.
0: Yeah, and the SRAM system seems way more advanced also than the Shimano Di2. So the Shimano Di2, you're still running, you're actually running wires rather than cables. Um, so all the wires that you have to set up for shifter and derailleur to actually work to where the SRAM access is all, all Bluetooth and yeah, magic signals and stuff like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point to make really Good distinction. And DI2, also, there's the option for a front derailleur, which AXS doesn't seem to be supporting, especially with this launch. But then, yeah, I mean, if you're cutting out the wires, again, there is. I mean, I've had so much trouble pairing like Bluetooth stuff with my phone. So I imagine that there's like those frustrations too, where you're like, dang it, why can't I find my derailleur? (laughs) (laughs) So. You mentioned Fox Live Valve, and so that's an electronic suspension system. So let's talk about some of those products that are on the market. So Live Valve, it's it's not necessarily like the new SRAM drivetrain or dropper post in that it's, it's completely automatic, right?
0: Right. Yeah, I suppose uh, uh, the next step for shram would be to figure out when you need to shift and then the system would just shift for you because that's essentially how the live valve works
1: yeah so it takes some control away from the user um which i don't know for some people that's probably good i mean it's one less thing to think about like oh do i need to lock out my suspension or do i unlock it here i forget that all the time lock it out on a climb and then get halfway down a descent and I'm like, Oh shoot, my suspension's still locked down. A little harsh. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, live valve tries to take care of that, which is probably a good thing for certain people, but then it also takes away that control. So if you really know mm-hmm. exactly what you want the suspension to do when you want it to do it, um, you don't really have that ability.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, like I, I usually remember when to open and when to close my stuff out, but I know there's definitely a lot of people that do and, Probably some that like to leave their suspension closed for certain descents like jump trails or people that like to leave their suspension open for climbing on maybe really rocky stuff. And I mean, live valve works for a lot of that stuff. The sensors are pretty crazy, but um, yeah, it's certainly, it's there to do it all for you.
1: Yeah. And you got to test ride live valve at Interbike last year. What did you think?
0: It's a crazy piece of equipment. I think somebody... On another trip I went after, oh, when I went to Vermont, asked me like, oh, like, what, did you see anything mind blowing in her bike? And I was like, well, no, not really. But then I was like, oh yeah, I rode the live valve and it is like, it's, it's a crazy piece of technology and it works really, really well. Yeah. I was definitely amazed by it.
1: Yeah. That's interesting too, though, that they jumped right from, you know, there's obviously there's mechanical lockout systems and levers that people use. On their bikes, but they jumped right from like let's just make that wireless to let's not even have a controller, which I think is interesting. Yeah, because we've seen we saw Cannondale like in two thousand nine, they had a prototype system they called Simon that was essentially it was like an electronic controller for your suspension, but you still had like a little joystick where you you would set. Oh, really? Yeah, you would set the thing to do what you want. I think it even had like a computer thing too where you could like it was like a bike computer because smartphones weren't super big at that time and then magura as well they have their elect system but i believe that same thing i think it was is more just a wireless control of your lockout settings not like a intelligent system like live valve
0: so you didn't have to say like Simon says, add more compression damping, or <laughs> <laughs> was not voice activated like no, that?
1: No, it wasn't voice activated. That would have been good. I mean, that's that's. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Like that'll be the next level um, where you don't even have to touch anything, right? Like if you could if you could eliminate that controller on the bars, like so you can keep your hands on the bars even more securely, and just gonna save some weight. So yeah, why not?
0: Yeah, that's. How the new GoPros work? You'd oh, right. Say like something like that, and then it tags the tags the video for you. Right. <laughs> now you have voice input for your suspension and and drivetrain soon. Who knows?
1: Yeah. Interesting. Well, so the other thing in suspension that's kind of related and interesting to talk about, I think, is the cork sensor suspension sensor that you can put on, and and that's made by. Well, Shram owns the company now, so I think they're sort of folding it into their Rockshox division. And in this AXS announcement, they mentioned that Quark is going to be part of the new app that you use to set up your drivetrain and your wireless dropper post. Oh, interesting. So they're they're folding it all in, but again, it's not it's not a controller for your suspension at all. It's basically a thing that you like. Attached to your suspension and it monitors it and gives you recommendations for tuning or improving the suspension. But it seems like it seems like there's more. There could be more to it. There could be something more that they could do with that.
0: Yeah, because that's a quirk. Uh, is like the ShockWiz, right? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know they were incorporating that into axis
1: Yeah, and again, it's like it's not. I mean, obviously, there's no controller. Like you can't press a button and it does anything to your suspension, but it is part of the new app that they launched. So you got your suspension settings, your drivetrain settings, and your dropper post settings, like all in the same app, which I know a lot of racers will definitely find that to be really helpful, like being able to set up their bikes quickly, um, when they're on the road and stuff and like getting everything dialed in exactly to their preferences.
0: Yeah, I think so. Quicker data, maybe a little bit easier to set up and easier to understand.
1: So moving on from suspension, now we've got wireless dropper posts, and again, SRAM was not the first to do this. Magura had their Elect system, a wireless dropper post that's still available. It's still on the market. I saw Eric Porter was running one of those uh, out when I saw him this past summer, and he really loves it. Like he says, it's it's an awesome thing to have. Yeah, because you're able to like swap the dropper posts between bikes really easily like you just you just pull it out of the frame and plop it in another one like there's no cables or wires or anything that you got to route or you know hook up to the bars and so SRAM announced that the new reverb or there's a new model of the reverb that is wireless as part of that AXS system so yeah what are, what are some of the other advantages that you see to that
0: Matt? Again you get like instantaneous input and response from the dropper post. And I guess another cool thing that we didn't touch on yet was the battery for the dropper post and the derailleur is the same. So, I mean, there's kind of saying in their marketing that like, if you run out of battery in your derailleur, you can swap with your seat post, but then I guess you kind of have to choose like, (laughs) do I want to shift or do I want to fall down going down something steep? (laughs) But yeah, so they're swappable.
1: Standardized batteries, sort of like double A's.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Innovation. Yeah. Of course, not with Shimano Di2, though.
1: (laughs) Right. Or your light. I mean, yeah, maybe. Maybe one day, like, Stram will come out with a bike light or a a GoPro camera that uses that battery or something.
0: Yeah. They redesigned some of the internals on the reverb, too, which I think will make a lot of people happy because the first-generation reverbs were notorious for getting air, like, above the uh, floating piston and getting all squishy and... You know, then you got to pay over a hundred bucks to get it fixed. And it's like, well, at that point, might as well just buy a new mm-hmm. dependable dropper. Um, and so with the redesign, I guess there's a, a bleed port on near the top of the post too. So you can like take off the saddle, um, access the bleed port. And if air does get up there, you can actually like just bleed the air mm-hmm. yourself and it's not gonna, not gonna be saggy anymore.
1: Yeah. I know that's welcome news to a lot of people who are fans of the overall system, but yeah, had reliability problems and speaking of that too i mean one of the things that i never liked about the reverb was just the lever control you know it's it was a hydraulic cable system and yeah man that's that's annoying if you're installing it like having to bleed the cable for that and i don't know that it ever added any real advantage there they were really the only ones to do that everybody else just uses a regular like shifter cable to actuate their dropper posts.
0: Yeah. Which you could still modulate.
1: Yeah. And so that should be welcome news because the new one, uh, will do away with the cabling entirely or the hose entirely.
0: Yeah. I think it sounds cool. Not everybody's like us that has to constantly swap parts and swap bikes and stuff like that, but it would definitely make it convenient for anybody who does or yeah. Anybody that has more than one bike, which, you know, there's a lot of people that do so you can, uh, throw it on your gravel bike or whatever, any other bike. Yeah. You can swap it really easy rather than, I mean, cables for seat posts are such a hassle sometimes.
1: Yeah. A lot of us, even if we can't yet afford it, we, we like to aspire to having like a whole quiver full of bikes and by, I don't know, being able to swap the same dropper post between all the bikes that makes it slightly more affordable, I guess, slightly more approachable. Maybe you could do it. Right. Save a little bit of cash. And then the other thing that's interesting is that this will work with any bike frame. So, I mean, I guess by now most bike frames do have internal cable routing, but if you've got an older bike and you've been like sitting on the sidelines about getting a dropper post, you can get one of these. Now you can just throw it in your bike, your old bike, and it's going to work without having to drill holes or, you know, look around for an externally routed dropper post.
0: Yeah. And it like the system though, it does look a lot cleaner without cables. Like it looks better without a bunch of <laughs> cables running through and around everything. And right. yeah, especially cause I'm not like a huge fan of internal routing, but I'd, it's definitely something I'd want on a, a seat post. Like I could really care less about having it for drivetrain and brakes and all that. But like on a seat post that I don't know is, yeah, there's just something about having external routing on your seat post that I'm not a fan of.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, It causes a lot of problems, yeah, because a lot of them, you know, where they have to connect, you know, up toward the top of the frame, that tends to get in the way of stuff. It gets snagged on things. Mm -hmm. And then, like you're saying, I mean, even the internal routing, most of them, it's kind of weird looking, right? Like the cable pokes out for just a second and then it, like, jumps back into the other tube. So... Yeah. And I've always said that the biggest problem with dropper posts seems to be with the levers and with the actuator. Like if that cable comes loose anywhere or for whatever reason, like has a problem, it's usually, it's usually in the cable or at the lever. Yeah. And so if you eliminate that part of the system, the whole thing should get much more reliable.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, my girlfriend and I will kind of, uh, when we have test bikes and stuff, she'll use my bike and then always get a fiddle with the seat post to like drop it and then it doesn't work and you got to yank the cable out and Right. try and find like the right, uh, right lever actuation. Yeah. It ends up being a complete pain just to make it rideable for somebody else.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it may sound like we're real big fans of this, um, but neither of us have wireless dropper posts yet, believe it or not. So why not? What are the disadvantages of this kind of system?
0: I don't know. Culturally, I guess maybe it's like off the deep end or whatever, but it seems like people are just, they're getting uh, a little bit overwhelmed by the amount of like technology that's out there these days. And now you're kind of adding this into your escape from reality and (laughs) maybe complicating your mountain bike more than you really need to. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a big concern for a lot of people.
1: Yeah. And and again, you know, it depends on the battery. So if your battery runs out, like your dropper post is not going to work anymore. I wonder what the fail safe is on it. If it like, when it's dead, does it return to up or does it stay down if it's down?
0: Yeah, that's a good question.
1: Because that could be a problem. But then again, I mean, if you've got enough room in your seat tube, you could just manually like undo it, right? Like raise it up or lower it down and finish out the ride, I guess. Because at least there's no cables that are getting yanked or pulled out of the way. But then it's also expensive, right? The, new Reverb AXS is $800, Yeah, which is, that's got to be the most expensive dropper post I've ever heard of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Right. I don't think there's another one that's more expensive than that.
1: Yeah. And the original Reverb, the mechanical Reverb is 500 bucks, which is, was already like at the high end. Of dropper posts um, these days, these days you can get a decent one for three hundred bucks. So this is mm-hmm. it's almost three times as much as like a a pretty good dropper post. And for that money, you could throw a couple of them away <laughs> and keep like getting brand new ones every year for what it costs you to get a, a reverb axs.
0: Yeah, or you can get the fancy fox transfer with cashama for your minimal. Stiction in your dropper post, or whatever. That's still a few hundred bucks cheaper than uh cheaper than the axis.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Well, there are obviously a few more systems on the bike that haven't really been electrified yet. So brakes come to mind. Same thing, right? You've got you've got levers at the bars uh, that need to have cables that somehow or hoses that tie back to the calipers. So what's going on with wireless brakes? Is this, do you think this is something that could be a possibility in the future?
0: I don't know. I was wondering about that. And it made me think like, are there any wireless brake systems on cars? Because there's definitely like electronic transmissions and paddle shifters and button shifters on steering wheels and stuff like that. But I think where brakes would have a tough time is that since they're hydraulic, like that's, and mountain bikers get real picky about this, but they want that modulation. Um, and that's, kind of the benefit of using a hydraulic brake system
1: right although i guess you could still it would be at just a smaller hydraulic system right like you just cap the hose right at the caliper and have some kind of thing that's that's pressing it for you right there it could still be hydraulic right but yeah you bring up an interesting point that i mean it could be for like reliability reasons especially like if you think about a car yeah you don't want to have any Possibility that that system is going to fail, and so yeah. perhaps you know they've looked at making that electronic. And there's just too many unknowns, or too many things that could go wrong with that. And you want like a continuous system from like your foot or your hand, whatever the case may be, to the brake itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, and even with air in the system, most time you're going to be able to get the brake to work a little bit.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. So I did a little research. It looks like someone did make a prototype for a mountain bike brake system that was wireless and electronic back in 2011. Oh, really? And this thing, I mean, it was super rough. It was like, you know, somebody just taped on this big, like electronic looking box <laughs> to a uh, fork and to the caliper and I mean, it, yeah, it was more of a proof of concept, but I personally don't see why you couldn't make it happen, but yeah, whether or not people will believe in it and will like trust it enough. That's, that's the question, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd be really, really interested to see how the system would work and how electronics would cooperate with the hydraulic system or yeah. Or even if there's what the prototypes look like, or I guess it'd be a good research point to look for in, in automobiles and see how, Yeah, I mean, even like Teslas and Priuses are still using hydraulic brake systems as far as I know.
1: Right. But then again, you have like anti-lock braking, which right. introduces some electronic element to the braking. So it's true. So once you go wireless or electronic, it seems like there's a potential to improve the system, you know, add in these other features that you couldn't do with a purely mechanical system. And You know, and then obviously if you could do this though, there are all those advantages we mentioned with the drivetrains and the dropper posts. You know, installation is gonna be Mm -hmm. much easier, maintenance is not gonna be daunting, I guess. You know, I mean you're not gonna have to like bleed brake cables and that kind of thing. And then and then it opens up the possibility for different control styles. So yeah, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a lever, it could just be a button or Or you could just shout like, slow down (laughs) and your bike slows down. (laughs) Now the question that remains is what does this mean for the overall mountain bike experience? You kind of touched on this map, but like philosophically, like how does, how does this make you feel to see all these electronics on bikes?
0: I mean, it's interesting. Like it, it's kind of the cool thing about being like a mountain bike journalist at this point is like you get to witness like all these things happening and, and write about it and document it and they're really really big changes for the sport and technology for mountain biking as a whole like whether whether you're into it or not mm-hmm. like personally I don't think I would be that into it like I definitely wouldn't go out and spend the money for it I would ride it just to see what it's like yeah I mean at the same time like I even mechanical drivetrains are so good right now and last a long time without maintenance and function well again I think like I mean look at like the big single speed Resurgence in like the past few years, and how people have like revolted by <laughs> uh, against like new technology by just like sticking with only one speed on your mountain bike, and yeah, and it sounds like hell to me. But yeah, is SRAM is gonna create revolters that I don't know revolt against the electronic drivetrain system in the same way. I mean, I think if you're into it, like go for it.
1: Yeah, you see with e-bikes, people are in one camp or the other, and. You know, to me, I don't see a big difference between e-bike and, and adding all these electronics, right? You know, people, people love to, especially the anti-e-bike people are like, Hey, if it has a motor, it's a motorbike. Well, <laughs> I gotta tell you, these, these systems have motors too. I mean, they're, they're called servo motors, right? Like something you're pushing a button, you're not doing the work. And it's shifting your derailleur for you, or it's actuating your dropper post. So, to me, it's like if we're going to draw a line, this stuff shouldn't shouldn't exist either. And like you said, I, I have no problem with it either. I think it's it's interesting and it's different. I don't know if it's for me because. Well, for a number of reasons, you know, like you said, it is expensive and seems like it's harder to work on. I mean, I kind of enjoy figuring out these mechanical systems and like being able to work on them. And, and I don't feel like you could do that necessarily with the electronic systems. Mm. Then somebody, one of our readers brought up the idea of hacking, like not just hacking, you know, people are bringing that up with e-bikes, like, they're worried that people are going to hack their e-bike so it can go faster than it's supposed to go or whatever. But no, this, this person was suggesting that it might be possible to like hack your competitors, uh, drive or dropper posts. So like <laughs> say you're in a mountain bike race and right. push a button and you can make everybody's derailers go haywire or something like that. I mean, that seems like, I mean, it seems really far out, but then again, we thought mechanical doping, Seem far out, you know, like hiding tiny motors in your bikes, but that happened. Like <laughs> people started doing that.
0: Yeah, it does happen. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I mean, hopefully, uh, Shram and Shimano and all these companies have good, like security people on their teams, because this is the whole like internet of things too, that we're hearing about and how a lot of these new products, you know, security is like an afterthought and people are now finding out like, some dude across the country can look in on your baby monitor or, or whatever it is, you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. So yeah, seems like there could be some unintended consequences for that, but, but overall, yeah, it's definitely an interesting direction and shows that the mountain bike industry continues to innovate and move toward, you know, the, this whole like digital age is not, it's not leaving mountain biking behind by any means, you know, it's, it's creeping in whether you think that's a good thing or a bad
0: thing. I think, Electronics are going to grow. I think that'll maybe even be like the next big thing with frames and geometry and all that getting to such a good point right now and kind of reaching that, that point of diminishing returns. You know, social frame access thing. That, like That's a major leap in, in technology. And now I think it'll get more popular. I think they're going to find ways to make it more affordable, easier for people to understand, more marketable. Yeah, I, I feel like that's going to be sort of like the next big area of opportunity for technology.
1: Yeah, definitely. And SRAM seems to be with this release, they're really trying to integrate the whole system. You know, it's not just like, okay, we have an electronic drivetrain. They really seem to be thoughtful about like how it all works together with the dropper post and potentially with the suspension system, whether that's, you know, just getting telemetry or if it's also controlling the suspension. Because I think once you do that, you look at the whole picture you can definitely start to do some things that weren't possible before. One of the things that I saw last year that kind of blew my mind and seemed like a really obvious thing yet, you know, nobody is really doing it yet is integrating your suspension controls and your dropper post. And this was BMC with their speed Fox uh, does this where basically it's a fully mechanical system, but you know, one you press one lever and it's going to drop your post and also open up your suspension and then vice versa. You flip it again, it raises your post up and locks out your suspension. So obviously, you know, when you're going downhill, you want the the suspension open and you want the post down and then vice versa for when you're climbing. And so it seems like those kinds of systems and people argue like, Oh, well there's sometimes when I'm climbing, but I want my suspension open and that's totally fine. This mechanical system can't address that. But if you had an electronic system where everything is like talking to everything else, it seems like that could be possible, you know, whether you configure that ahead of time or, you know, on the fly, you're able to like make those adjustments. But it does seem like once you start putting everything together that you can get like a really smart system in the end.
0: That is interesting. I mean, there's so many systems and then the trade-offs in a lot of ways seem to be the customizability or the personalization of them that yeah, with a completely mechanical and drive trains and droppers that are independent from each other. I mean, you can, you can get them to do what you want whenever you want.
1: Right. Yeah. And then the interface is what becomes your, your hardest part, you know, and that's, that's already a hard part for biking as it is. I mean, we've got so many levers and different things on the handlebars that we need to keep track of and try to be able to control. And so I think that'll be a challenge with the electronics as well. You know, we, again, we don't want to be like, Having to pull out a smartphone and like go through a bunch of menus and things like just to just to make a simple shift. And so I think that's that's probably going to be where we're going to need to see a lot more improvement before these things really become mainstream and people are using them to their full advantage. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah. And you mentioned that the prices will probably come down. And one of our readers mentioned in a comment that he thought the prices would eventually come like way, way down. Uh, even lower than mechanical systems, which I've found interesting. You know, at first I thought, no way, like that doesn't, doesn't make sense. But I mean, you look at, you look at stuff in our everyday lives, uh, that's, that's gone that way. You know, I mean, <laughs> the example I was thinking of was like the electric toothbrush, you know, like you can buy those things now they cost as much as a regular toothbrush, you know, you can get one for, I don't know, $3 or something. And, and yeah, who would have thought, like, as a kid growing up in the 80s, like, I never would have thought that I could get an electric toothbrush for $3, but there it is. So, yeah, why not? Why couldn't you have a system that basically just has a motor and, like, moves your derailleur for you? Seems like it is possible. And what's interesting is, like, you look at computers, too, and, and Moore's Law, which I don't I don't think that's a thing anymore. I think, I think we've, like, outlived that, but... The idea being that power and speed and all that stuff is going to be increasing and prices are going to go lower. I mean, you don't necessarily see that in the physical world, but you do see it with software and electronics. So maybe there is some credence to that idea that that these systems have the potential to get much, much cheaper.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, everything, everything in electronics has gotten cheaper since, you know, they first came out, laptops, flat screen TVs computers, phones, anything like that. So what they have the XX1 and X01 access now, so maybe we'll see a a GX access in the future.
1: Yeah, that seems like a safe bet. I mean that's that seems to be Shram's mode of operation, at least for their drivetrain systems to date, you know, where they they'll come out with eleven speed or twelve speed at the highest level and then You know, of course, the first question that we ask in the media and that our readers are asking us is like, oh, when's when's a cheaper one coming out? And Shram is always very coy, like, oh, I don't know. This this has some really high tech stuff like we just don't see. I mean, they literally I remember one of the marketing people literally told me that I think that was when the 11 speed came out. He made the point like, oh, no, this stuff is this is really high tech. Like the machining is very difficult. And like, we just don't see this like trickling down, you know, this is just, this is what it costs to do this. And, you know, literally the next year there's a group set that costs, you know, almost 50% less. And, and I I mean, I think, I think obviously if you're a marketing person, like, yeah, you don't want to, tell people like, no, just wait a year and like, it's going to buy a cheaper one. Like
0: guys, things are going to get much cheaper. So hang on.
1: (laughs) Right. And, and it's also, it's not like they're just doing that. Like, Hey, let's take advantage of these first guys, make a pile of money and then like do it later. I mean, no, literally like it just takes time for, to pay back that. Investment, and so they they do have to wait a few years and like figure stuff out, making the high end stuff, and figure out like okay, how can we make this cheaper and just as reliable? So I agree with you. Like GX is going to be the next thing, and it's probably going to be an NX, and and then I'm sure we'll see other companies follow suit as well. You know, whether it be drivetrain stuff or dropper posts or suspension, I mean, all that stuff. Yeah, we're going to be seeing more of it.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if shimano is going to have a response to this also yeah that di2 system's four years old now it's only 11 speed and now they're like grinding as hard as they can just to get uh, a 12 speed drivetrain on the market um so shram's definitely killing it right now
1: right yeah poor shimano although you could i was very tempted over the holidays i think chain reaction had a di2 group for like $1,200 or something like that. I mean, it, it had always been like $2,500. And so, yeah, if you wanted one, that was probably the time to get one. And I mean, $1,200, that's like almost half of what the new SRAM AXS costs. So, so yeah, there does seem to be some room for prices to come down for sure. Yeah. Well, cool. This is definitely a topic that I know we'll be talking about more in the future and, and we'll keep tracking, you know, all the latest developments, even this year, I'm sure there's going to be more stuff. Hopefully we'll get a chance to get hands-on with the SRAM AXS system. Remember, if you're enjoying the Singletracks podcast, be sure to rate us in your podcast app and tell a friend about it. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.